It's no surprise to me that the Buddha placed mindfulness of the body so centrally in this practice and as the first foundation of mindfulness. Even one point going so far as to say that when there is no mindfulness of the body, there is no mindfulness at all. Encouraging us to be mindful of the body when we sit, when we stand, when we walk, when we lie down. This encouragement to have this foundation of mindfulness, this this ground of mindfulness throughout our days. We have such an interesting relationship to the body often, the place where we can be so forgetful, can't we? Just as if we have a mind that's moving through life, you know, and the body kind of dragging along behind We can be so forgetful, and yet at the same time, we can be so preoccupied that we do contemplate our body through our life, sometimes in the mirror, you know, the concern around appearance and identity focused within the body, sometimes in illness where the body is crumbling or changing and we contemplate the body through the eyes of aversion and fear. So what the Buddha is suggesting is really that we we find an an antidote to both of these, both the forgetfulness and the preoccupation or the distorted lens through which we often see the body. So it's the first foundation of mindfulness talk about seeing the body as the body. So it is not just about being present in the body. It is actually really acknowledging the way many of the kind of major insights that change our lives are often learnt within the classroom of the body. And that within contemplation of the body, we are also learning essentially most of the skills that are then brought to our emotional and cognitive world. But it starts with the very simple statement in the Satipatthana Sutta, to know the body as the body, or to know the body in the body. Now I think it is helpful to reflect in what is being suggested in that simple, that's those simple lines. It's really pointing to taking or cultivating this quality of non-identification. Usually more familiar in our, our lives is my body. My body. What happens in the, my body is happening to me. Now, non-identification is not the same as dissociation. It's not about abandoning the body, it's not about not caring, but it is really looking at what the identification with the body actually does to the heart and mind. How that identification is the forerunner of fear, the forerunner of judgment, the forerunner of aversion, the forerunner of disconnection. So there's a remarkable art 
in learning to see the body as the body. And just kind of pan that out in the rest of our experience. What would it be like for us to be able to see an emotion as an emotion? A thought as a thought. It's a major insight not to let go of the body, but to learn the lessons of letting go, of clinging and grasping and selfing in the relationship to the body, which so distorts that relationship. Because we also see when there is so much identification with the body, this is me, this is who I am, how it is the beginning, the onset of so much of the narrative and the agitation How do I fix this? How do I make this go away? How do I become this different body? So just really noticing that. And we learn that lesson of non-identification through contemplating the body, through staying close to the body, not distant from it, but through contemplating the body. Ah, sensation is happening. This event is arising in the body. There is process within the body. We learn to stay close and to loosen the grip of that that clinging, grasping mode. Within the body, within contemplating the body, we are really fostering and cultivating and strengthening our capacity for intentional attention and to learn how to sustain that rather than being lost in that world of impulse, which is always moving away from or moving towards. We're learning to cultivate that intentional attention, moving out of the realm of reactivity, out of the realm of habit. Also think of the implications of that for our lives, how difficult that is for us, how the surges of impulse, the surges of reaction, moving towards, moving away from, seem to happen so quickly and leave us feeling so helpless and so floundering. So we're learning to cultivate that, being present in the body, coming back to the body. We're learning a lot about equanimity within the body, about how to be equally near all things, rather than having the kind of preferencing attention that so often governs our lives. Yes, we're very willing to be near the pleasant, but wait until an unpleasant sensation marches in, or one which is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Then we actually see how preferenced our attention actually is. So we're learning to be equally near. Ah, here is something pleasant within the body. Ah, here is something unpleasant. By learning to stay equally near to that spectrum of experience within the body, we're learning actually to sever the link between sensation or experience and underlying tendencies. Because we see the underlying tendency that so moves around the unpleasant is that one of fear and aversion. By staying close to the body, we're actually learning to calm that underlying tendency, one which is not too unfamiliar to us in our life. So learning something about equanimity, we're learning something about impermanence, aren't we? Learning something about how the body too is a process, how it changes, 
And we're learning to be present. You know, the body is always a present moment experience. I don't have yesterday's headache. I don't have tomorrow's toothache. I have this body as it is, just as it is right now. And there is something very powerful about cultivating that capacity to be aligned with present moment experience rather than memories and associations, anticipations, rehearsals, plans. This is what is just now. This is where I can be present with what is right now. By learning to sustain attention in the body, we're learning a lot of lessons about letting go. You know, we're present in the body, we're present in the body breathing, and then we see that our attention is diverted, it is hijacked, it goes elsewhere. This is not an error, this is not a mistake. It's because something else has become more predominant. But we have the mindfulness to pause and the mindfulness to return. And in that returning, of course, we're always returning from something. We're returning from somewhere. So we may be returning from a narrative. We may be returning from a story. It's interesting in the Satipatthana Sutta, when the Buddha speaks about mindfulness of the body, he says, you know, breathing in, calming the body formations. Breathing out, calming the body formations. Breathing in, calming the mental formations. Breathing out, calming the formations. So we're learning to cultivate that great, that great art of calmness, a great art of stillness, of coming out of the agitation of the stories, the imaginings. We learn in the body to discern the difference between concept and actuality. The story of my knee isn't my knee. The story of my back isn't my back. And again, we can expand that out in many ways. You know, my story about the retreat is not the retreat. My story about myself may not be myself. So we see that through actually really contemplating those moments, contemplating the body in those moments, actually when that story begins. You've probably seen it in your practice. You know, you start to have a familiar ache or a familiar pain, and, it, and, and you can feel the narrative begin, as Narayan said, you know, the gangrene is coming, the emergency room, you know, never have a working leg again. This is the end of it, you know. But actually we come back and we actually start to actually stay close to the direct experience and see that, of course, the whole concept of my knee is something superimposed upon what is actually a process. And we come close into that and we see, oh, underneath that concept, here I have a shifting landscape of sensation. Here I have the shifting shifting process of sensations that are rising, fading, intensifying, and that allows for responsiveness. The, the story of my knee usually allows for a whole lot of reactivity. 
Within the body, we actually learn in many ways to be very, very skillful with our emotional world and our psychological world because we do see how many of our emotions do register and make their imprint within the body. We feel the agitated body, don't we? We feel the, the depressed body. We feel the fearful body. You know, we feel the mental states registering within the body experience and, of course, also the body movement. And yet, somehow, this is far more accessible than just trying to dive directly into the landscape of fear or the landscape of depression or the landscape of aversion. Ah, I see this too. This emotion registering in the body is also a process. It is also... Places where it's registering, places where it's not registering. It's not the entirety of my experience. We're learning to befriend that, to be interested in it, to be curious about it. So today in the practice, as, as you find yourself more arrived, perhaps less caught in the process of arising, arriving, Really, really cultivating that moment-to-moment sense of embodiment. This unification of mind, body, and present moment really begins with mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of the body. Being aware of the constructs that are formed around the body. Being aware of the moments of departure. And being aware of that wonderful gift that the body's still here. The body is still here. We can return, no matter how lost, we can return and feel our feet touch the ground, feel our seat on the cushion, on the chair. That simplicity of that, the kind of elegance of that, that the practice is not so complicated. This is a great gift of mindfulness of the body. It's not so complicated. I don't have to try to have a body. Here it is, sitting, available, accessible. Allowing that to be the place where we cultivate and begin to nurture that stillness, that calmness of being, but also the curiosity. The curiosity about how we are present, the kindness in how we are present but also the dedication in how we are present within the body as we sit, as we walk, as we stand, as we lie down in all of the movements of the day, letting the body be the place we make our home that actually does indeed become a refuge, become a refuge. So again, taking our seat, feeling ourselves, Sitting, present. (coughs) Sensing how your body is touching the ground, chair, the cushion. the felt experience of the uprightness of your back and your neck. (coughs) 
the felt experience of the stillness of your body. Just noticing where there is calmness within the body, where there is a sense of wellness within the body, of ease. Noticing the places where agitation or contraction is not present. The touch of your lips together. Palms of your hands. mindful of the places in the body where there's a sense of agitation, discomfort, unpleasantness. Sensing what it is to bring your attention directly to those areas with kindness, with curiosity, with mindfulness, Noticing how those areas of discomfort are also a landscape of sensations. Changing, moving. Bringing your attention to listening. Knowing this too is part of mindfulness of the body. A capacity to listen without looking for a sound. We'll be able to rest in the quietude, the receptivity of just listening.
being mindful of the body breathing. Breathing in, calming the body. Breathing out, calming the body. Breathing in, calming the mind. Breathing out, calming the mind. Sensing how your body moves in response to each in-breath and each out-breath. The rising, the falling, the expanding, the relaxing. Sensing where it is most accessible for you to to locate and focus your mindfulness. Whether it's in the full sense of the body sitting, the posture, the body breathing or listening. Embracing that in an intentional way as much as you're able to, sustaining your attention in that anchor of mindfulness, 
yet also receptive and easeful in the moments your attention is drawn away. Simple knowing where you are, simple returning.
mindful of how it feels to be embodied in this moment, to know the body as the body. with kindness, with curiosity,
So because of the weather conditions, it took us kind of a while to come together as a group. We were dribbling in for a while. But now that we are here together, we just want to remind you of a a couple of things. In the spirit of helping one another and uh, working with a, a container that is most fruitful and most conducive for Um, learning. So these are really reminders around supporting the retreat life, supporting ourselves and supporting one another in this time period. And so one is just very simple. Many of you have heard this over and over again, which is to um, do your best to come to the sittings on time and um, you know, obviously most of you are, but just to be aware of that and to stay until the end of the sitting unless there's some problem or emergency. And if you uh, can't get to the sitting on time, there is room uh, 200 down the hall. So please to feel free to go to that room and, um, and sit during that time in that room. Sometimes yogi jobs here uh, make it really hard to get to the sitting on time. So if that's true for you, if you would let us know, um, that would be really wonderful because we want everybody to be here if possible. And if the yogi job is is an obstacle, we would want to know about it. So if you could let us know. And we also wanted you to be um, kind of mindful about not walking together and um, down the road because it's kind of catchy. You know, you, you can think that you're just walking silently and so it's just silently supportive. And of course it is silently supportive. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do with a friend. And you know, I, I really encourage you to do this in your everyday life is to find a friend to walk with silently because it's a great joy in a life to be able to do that with someone, to have that comfortable silence together. And both of you practicing in your own way, it's so beautiful. Um, But here, not so great, because it gets, as I say, it gets a little catchy, like somebody else looks and where's my friend, or wants wants to um, start, you know, asking somebody to to walk with them or, or whatever. So not necessarily so... Um, not great for oneself, but maybe more so, not so good for the retreat itself. And um, the last thing is the general harangue about cell phones. I, I know that Christina spoke about it on the first night, but many of us weren't here on the first night. And um, I know, you know, you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, it takes you away. Yeah, it's some um, incredible privilege and um, grace to be in an environment where you really are encouraged not to use your cell phone. And initially, I know it's so hard because it's the easiest thing these days to be addicted to, you know, to getting messages and to thinking you can call somebody and all of this kind of thing. I mean, it's so much easier than it used to be. It's not so great in this environment for you to do that. It really cuts away at the deepening 
of the silence that we're nourishing within ourselves. There's a way that it's confusing and rippling. And it is kind of, you know, we've been talking about whims and impulses. It is kind of following that whim or impulse of agitation or restlessness or fear or whatever it might be, that kind of reaching out. So um, do something radical, you know, like, like, like give it to the office. They, 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 I don't know if that was suggested by Roberta. Yes? Okay. All right. How many of you did that? Can I ask? Okay. I see two hands. <laughs> and I'll bet you everybody here has a cell phone. <laughs> so at least most of us. So consider that possibility. They have a lot of room. They'll, they'll do it. They'll do it for you. I, I remember once somebody gave the office their battery of their car. <laughs> Because they were so afraid they were going to get in the car and, you know, splitsville. So, <laughs> so they, they can do it. They have room. They know the yogi mind. They're all yogis in the office. They know how our minds work. So there's no, no reason for shame about that. Um, at least if you don't do that, like really, really bury it. Really put it way down in your luggage. We are aware that um, there's so many complexities and situations in our lives. And, you know, if you have a situation where you're taking care of someone and um, it, it, there's nervousness about that, and it's based on a real concern, um, what we would ask you to do is, again, to go to the office, and they'll set you up with a way to, um, to call that person or to be called by that person or something like that. Because these are very real things. You can't leave someone who's in their 90s without your um, reassurance. Um, but, but that's really, really different than going off down the road and making a call because um, we're trying to um, really nourish this beautiful silent container here. So just to be really aware of that, and we really understand. So again, this is not a reason for you know guilt or anything like that. It's just to start shifting at this point. And just to let you know that there'll be um, metta, a metta session, loving kindness session in the 215 sit, and that will continue throughout the retreat. There's yoga, but no reason to to think about that at this point. It's a long time away. It's way this afternoon. So many mind moments between now and then. (laughs) A lifetime between now and this afternoon. But we will talk about that later in the day. And um, interview groups are happening, and they will be for the next few days as well. So make sure that you find your name on the board. If you don't have an interview today, you'll have an interview tomorrow. And the groups are not optional. We do need to check in with everybody, so make sure you do come if your name is on the board. Uh, Come on time. Make sure you come on time. Christina loves this word I use. Don't dilly-dally, so I will use it for your amusement. So don't don't dilly-dally, but come right to the interview group when it's your time. And um, after I finish speaking, uh, those of you who have interview groups who are signed up for today, if everybody else would let those who have interview groups leave first, that would be a really good thing. So just to stay put and let let the people who have the groups leave. So just, um, just one more thing, which is to engage in the walking with wholehearted attentiveness today. Um, 
really using Christina's instructions from this morning about being in the body. So let yourself flow into the walking, not like it's so different, sitting, walking, so different. It's not. It can seem that way, um, but it really isn't. So allowing yourself to kind of flow um, into the walking, which of course happens the first moment that you take a step away from your cushion. It doesn't happen when you get to your walking path. There's an immediacy about the walking. You know, you, you stand up and you're aware of standing and you can pause for just a moment before you move just to be aware, ah, standing is happening. What's the rush? You know, where am I going? My walking path is not going to be that exciting once I get there. <laughs> so just, just the, you know, the awareness of standing and then mindfulness of the body as you move. And then to be aware of this whole thing about whims and impulses because in the sitting there's a natural restraint. You know, you're you're maybe you're waiting, you know, for the bell to ring, but at least you're sitting there. Um, and there's a there's a kind of a built-in restraint. You know, maybe there's some peer pressure that might be a positive thing at times. Um, you know, if you if you start to move out, you are definitely going to be aware of that because you're aware that everybody else is still sitting here. So there's more awareness of the impulses that that we're obeying all day long. In the walking, there's a lot more space to get ourselves in trouble. You know, there's a lot more room to follow an impulse or follow a whim than there is in the sitting. So it takes a little bit more effort a little bit more steadiness, a little bit more intention, a little bit more determination to ride it out, to keep observing. Can't stand it. Gotta go. Something else is better. Another place is better. I'll be happier if I do this, or at least I won't be so unhappy. Watching all that happen in the psyche, aware of that with great love, aware of it with great love, not in a punitive way, as if we have these terrible minds that we've got to corral and harass, and that's the only way we're going to make it through the walking. It's such a not true, such a not, not wise attitude. But again, great love and great compassion as you watch the mind do what minds do. Not your mind, but what minds do. Try to connect with this understanding of what minds do. And then understanding that we're not trying to control anything. And there is this kind of natural training that we're undergoing here. And it is incredibly natural if we go about it with love. Okay, so have a lovely walk. (laughs) And um, again, just the reminder to let others go first. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.